always turns to share it always turns to share hello everybody welcome to the carpeted queens podcast coming to you live from the employee bathroom at the tcq video store where you can pick up the best and worst in horror for only 69 cents a day welcome fellow queerdos Raymond. <laughs> That's your opener. That's the opener. <laughs> and I'm the inhuman spirit inhabiting your favorite vibrator, Nicholas. Hello, everybody. <laughs> so stupid. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Summer Blockbusters. I'm so excited for this whole month. I think just like these are really, really big ones. So I'm a little frightened because they're big ones. Ew. Mm-hmm. It's never scared me before, though. <laughs> <laughs> we ain't scared of a big one, mama. Mm-hmm. But these are heavy hitters. Heavy, he- I mean, obviously, these are. this is our blockbuster month. So these are some heavy hitters. I hope y'all are prepared. I wasn't prepared. Thank you. I just have to say a quick note. Thank you, everybody, for last week's episode. It was our biggest premiere for an episode. Y'all went crazy for it. And I completely understand why. Go crazy. Go wild. Go, mm, go crazy. Wasn't that the Jersey Shore theme song? Go crazy. Go oh, wild. You're asking the wrong girl. I could not. Wow. Okay. Oh, okay. Hold so up. we're gonna shame speak me on up this episode. My, uh, <laughs> speak up, my uh, Jersey Shore mem- uh, fans out there. Speak up. We're gonna yeah. get one person in the far back. Woo! That's all I need, bitch. That's all. <laughs> bit. Reach out to me at STFU Ray. It's gonna be so bad. Okay. Uh, speaking of uh, STFU Ray, please like, comment, subscribe on our Instagram. It really helps us out, y'all. Please get the word out there at the Carpenter Queens. Please, if you're listening on Apple Pod, if you're listening on Spotify, subscribe to us. That really helps get our numbers up because we are inching closer and closer to 2,000 listens. We hit that a lot faster than I feel we- like than we hit our 1,000 mark. <laughs> we hit a pretty, like, a pretty good projectile and i i don't know maybe we're covering content people like more maybe y'all are liking us i don't want to toot my own heart but toot toot bitch you toot your own horn all the time just ask richard that's what this pot is for bitch <laughs> this is my show i'm gonna i'm gonna toot my own motherfucking horn but please go to our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Go to our Twitter at Carpenter Queens. We couldn't afford the the, so we only cut it down to Carpenter Queens. <laughs> and don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, please. Those numbers really do matter, at least to us. Please and thank you. We're going to move on to this week's episode, uh, this movie. I'm so, I'm so hyped. Mm, mm. For those at home, you cannot see me. But I came dressed. And oh my ready god! For hold on. Episode. Let me uh, hold on. Let me describe. He's gonna. We are going to post this on uh, the Instagram for you all to see Nick's full Lorraine Warren regalia at the Carpet of Queens. Ding! But they are wearing a very beautiful white ruffly 
blouse top with a giant pussy bow on the front. <laughs> it's called a pussy bow. Don't be disgusting. They're also wearing a very beautiful, uh, it's almost like a skirt, but they're really gaucho pants, but it looks like a skirt. They're totally they, gaucho pants. They're gaucho pants, just like Drew Barrymore wears and never been but kissed. But they're, they're, <laughs> But they're free. You can twirl in it. You can open your legs. They're really and cute. I'm not going to lie. It's very total cute. summertime, like, feel my fantasy. I needed to come as Lorraine, okay? Because this week's episode is a fantastic flick. I, we both adore this movie, and I still mm-hmm. get scared. I still got scared when we watched it this week. So did I. I've seen this movie at easily at least, like, seven times. And I still was sitting here, like... <laughs> In anticipation. Tissa. This week, we venture into the chilling and horrific start of one of Hollywood's biggest surprise franchises. Queerdos, for this summer blockbuster, we travel back to 1971 with Ed and Lorraine Warren to dissect one of horror's most infamous hauntings. We are talking James Wan's The Conjuring from 2013. It's 918, we're headed down into the cellar where the door's just opened on its own. Give us a sign that you want to communicate with us. What are you guys? Well, we've been called ghost hunters, paranormal researchers. But we prefer to be known simply as Ed and Lorraine Warren. There's someone here that would like to talk to you. There's something horrible happening in my house. It's November 1st, 1971. I'm sitting here with Carolyn Perrin, who, with her family, has been experiencing supernatural occurrences. You picking up anything in here, hon? Something awful happened here, Ed. What is it? Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here, but there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. That's not gonna help. This thing has latched itself to your family. Father, we never seen nothing like this. I'm coming with you. No way. I can't lose you. There's a lady in a dirty nightgown that I see in my dreams. She's standing in front of my mom's bed. We can stream this currently on HBO Max. HBO Max is just turning it left, right, forward, back. The Conjuring 2 is also on there, as well as, well, we'll get to it, but The Devil Made Me Do It. 
I think it just got taken off because it's only available oh, okay. for 30 days. But oh, they okay. have a very, very good chunk of the whole Conjuring universe. So if you're mm-hmm. wanting to dive in and watch all of these films, I say proceed with caution. Not all of them are treated as equal. <laughs> but mm-hmm. we're not going to focus on all of those. Today, we're going to start on the one that started it all. Miss literally, Dan. literally started it all. Le- Legend. Legendary. She is the mother of the house of the Conjuring universe. (laughs) Before we begin, 420, what you smoking? What did you smoke this week? Mm, So this is one of my favorites. Like, I feel like I've already mentioned this movie several times on the pod because Mm -hmm. I just, I adore this movie and we'll get into it as we get to the movie. Uh, But because I enjoy this movie so much, I really wanted to like, have a good high and really enjoy myself. So I smoked the last of uh, my stash that I got from Canadite Grow. Um, she rolled, uh, we smoked while you were here. I had one left over that fat blunt that was rolled in Keith. Oh my and, God, those um, were massive. Mm-hmm. And yes, ma'am, I got intimidated. <laughs> they use uh, slow burning like hemp leaves and their, their flowers always bomb. And they also like, Rolled it in Keefe, it's a slow burning blunt, and bitch, did that shit hit? Because as you remember, I think we smoked when we were at the park while you were here, and I just- And I had to you lie lay- down. <laughs> I had you to lay lie down. down. You were laid down. I was one with nature for a good long while. That was a great picnic. It was also hot, so I was just like, you know what? The grass is cold. Let me just like <laughs> What did you smoke? This week, I smoked these really wonderful Durban poison joints. Durban Poison has been like my go-to strain lately. Like I, think I noticed about it four times, not just because I buy a good stock of it, but because like for me, it's the perfect sativa. I'm not too anxious. However, this movie decides <laughs> to fuck with you anyways. Yeah. It has me feeling good. I'm currently feeling really good on it right now. I also made some homemade cold brew that I finally got to drink today. So I am on mm. another wavelength. I think I can feel the spirits in the home. <laughs> she is channeling her Lorraine Warren energy. She's got her cold brew. She's got her weed. She's got her look. My rosary and my cross earrings. I'm ready to feel the spirits. Today. No, she had to take the rosary off because it was singeing her skin. <laughs> Why does it burn, mother? <laughs> but moving on to our movie, The Conjuring, released July 19th, 2013. And by the time this episode premieres, it will be about five days away from its eighth birthday. Happy, happy birthday from all of us to you. Us to you. Happy, we happy birthday. Was birthday. So we could party too. Hey! Woo! Uh, with a runtime of an hour and 52 minutes, we have our infamous taglines of... Can I, can I do them? I want to do them this week. Okay. 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 Oh, okay. We're switching it up today. Hold on. Hold on. Let me just. I'm ch- I'm scared because now I have to do this like all butch. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Just slap three filters on it. You'll sound good. <laughs> Evil loop. Oh shit! I already fucked it up. E- <laughs> you see, bitch. You see, you always come for me. It's not that easy, is it? It's not. I easy. don't remember when you pressure. came for me, but I remember specifically. <laughs> That you did come for me. It's the pressure, bitch. It's the pressure. <laughs> now you can't fuck it up. Moving on. Evil loves innocence. Based on the true case files of the Warrens. Anytime someone slaps on a true story, I know it's not fully based on the true story, but it, it immediately like gets me Same. freaked out. 
same same I always same think of texas chainsaw massacre like oh my god <laughs> that's the name i always associate it with when i was younger and i was first like watching movies that, that would always start with based on a true story i would always take it fully like based on a true story i thought this like beat for beat happened for real until i got older and started reading up on it and found out that it really meant it was loosely based on it and they just ran with it and got creative loose i don't know her <laughs> yeah you do bitch but regardless this movie is still, a lot of times it's still horrifying it's very horrifying and the true offense that it is based on is still horrifying it is very very horrifying did you go see this one in theaters i did i did i did i did <sighs> movies like this are meant to be experienced in the movie theater because <sighs> the, the sound design the overall experience of just like being in a theater full of people who are feeling I could quite honestly say the exact same <laughs> feeling you are because when you go to any other movie like a drama or a comedy, not everybody f finds everything funny that you do. So not everybody laughs at the same jokes and shit like that. But when you go to a scary movie, especially a good scary movie like this, mm -hmm. it's safe to say that everybody in that audience is feeling the exact same thing you are. It's that shared experience that I feel like you can only ever really get in a horror movie because mm -hmm. everyone understands the emotion of fear and James Wan is fantastic at structuring fears. I can't wait to break it all down. I'm so excited. I can go on and on and on about James Wan. Our film, directed by the infamous James Wan, Saw, Dead Silence, and the Insidious Flicks. Dead Silence, I know, is not really regarded as a good horror movie, but the aesthetic and the structure of it, I still really, really like. The imagery Leo me is claps. fantastic. Leo me claps. <laughs> I 100% agree. Really, really quick tangent. I remember being excited for Dead Silence, but I never got around to seeing it in theaters. I remember why. And then I found it um, like on sale, like at Walmart for $13. And I was like, oh, that's like how much I would have spent on a movie ticket anyways. So I bought it on a whim. I remember taking it home and I was like instantly like engulfed by the aesthetic. Mm -hmm. But there's like, the plot is garbage, mama. Mama, this is garbage. Great concept though, and great mm -hmm. visuals. It even made, uh, a killer house at Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando one year. Because the dolls are creepy. We get to talk about dolls in this one. So I'm going to save mm -hmm. my feeling for his dolls later. But who, come on, dolls are fucking terrifying. I don't care if you're not scared of dolls, if you love dolls. A doll in this environment is horrifying. Moving on for our flick written by the sibling duo of Chad Hayes and Carrie W. Hayes. And I looked into their filmography. They continue on with the Conjuring series as well as Insidious. But the one that really popped for me though was the remake of House of Wax with Paris Hilton. Yes! yes I stand. I, will t I would be totally down to cover either House of Wax or Dead Silence. Oh, we really got to keep this in our back pocket. Uh, definitely doing House of Wax. T oh, definitely, TBD. Definitely, definitely. TBD. Chad Michael Murray, hello. Shirtless Ugh. Chad Michael Murray. Ugh. I know. I just had to take a moment of silence for that. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to cast, starring Vera Farmiga as Lorraine Warren and Patrick Ghost-Catching Zaddy Wilson as Ed Warren. First of yes, all- yes, those are his middle names, Ghost-Catching Zaddy they, these two are the center, I feel like, of our movie and really of the Conjuring universe. Absolutely. And I, I couldn't have picked like a better I mean, duo. Hello, L look at the material. I would not dress up. Look at the material. You should be going home You can anyway. be the judge of it. As my gal, Lorraine, only, I have to state though, really, really quickly, I stand the film Lorraine Warren. I do not really stand 
oh, yes. the actual Warrens. Mm-hmm. I'll, ta- I'll we'll talk about that in a little bit. But you are absolutely one hundred percent correct. They are the anchor, and they are the reason why I adore these movies so much. And their their capability to just I believe them as a couple. I believe that they've been married forever, and I mm-hmm. love I love them. I love them. They're mom and dad. <laughs> the fuck does that mean? Moving on. <laughs> Lily Taylor as Carolyn Perrin, Ron Livingston as Roger Perrin, and their daughters are Stanley Caswell as Andrea, Taylor McFarlane as Nancy, Joey King as Christine, Mackenzie Foy as Cindy, Kyla Dever as April. Jesus Christ, five dollars. I know. I by the way, just a, like a prerequisite or like a warning, I'm gonna get all of these names mixed up. They're oh, honestly, 100%. they're like oldest daughter youngest daughter probably the middle one that one over there like i'm sorry the one who sees the ghost the one who gets possessed the one who gets the hair pulled (laughs) 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 moving on shannon cook as drew thomas john brotherton as brad sterling jarris as judy warren and joseph bashira as bathsheba bashira bashira that is bashira yes justice for ghosts of mars if y'all don't know, if y'all are fans from way, way, way back, one of our first episodes is Ghost of Mars. It is our least listened to episode, but justice for Bashira. Justice <laughs> for Ghost of Mars, y'all. That's my, that's, that's my, one of my favorite. That was like, your pick. Terrible John Carpenter. <laughs> I know, I fully take credit for it. I still stand Ghost of Mars and I still stand John Carpenter. John Carpenter, if you ever come across this episode, go listen, we love you. I said what I said. Just very quick, we do have to mention our cinematography by John R. Leonetti. Just ugh, beautiful work, known for his work on both Insidious Films and a few others. Most interestingly enough though, I had to put it in here, his first directorial debut would be Mortal Kombat Annihilation. Finish him! Mortal Kombat! Have you seen it? Yeah, I have. Who has it? so bad. It's so bad. But kudos on the cinematography. Honestly, this is an amazingly shot film. I'm gonna gag over all of it. Moving on to reviews. IMDb gave it a 7.5 out of 10. Metacritic gave it a 68 out of 100. AV Club gave it a B plus, which is pretty high for AV Club. Like I've never seen them. I have to pause very quickly. The review was, it was a backhanded compliment. Hold on, I have it pulled up. Of course it was. was Because it's AV Club. AV Club, I have very mixed feelings about because you guys can get incredibly mean with your reviews. Uh, it, It literally opens with... Against all odds and over the course of just a couple years, one-time horror hack James Wan has evolved (gasps) into a gifted maestro of a bump-in-the-dark entertainment. Oh my god. I had to call it out. Who wrote that? What's their name? (laughs) I'm scared. I'm probably going to bleed. Say their name. (laughs) (gasps) I know. I know. All reviews and critics, to be honest, if I go and read a review, I always take it with a grain of salt. And because I hate critics, critics are such dicks, exactly. And most of the time, I'll still see the movie, anyways. So, I, I'm gonna cast my own judgment, but my only complaint about it and why I bring it up is that critics hold a lot of power, they don't how hold as much as they used to way back when during like the golden age of Hollywood, but they yeah, like still Roger really, and Ebert or whatever the fuck their yeah, names but were, but they really sway an audience. and 
that's just unfair. Don't open your line like that. That's just rude. Like that's just yeah. really fucking rude. Horror hack. That was that is the worst backhanded compliment I've ever heard. Moving on to Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it got an 86% on the tomato meter and an 83% audience score. Those are pretty damn high scores. Those are very high scores. This, but it also follows the same beat of it last week. It was in the same range and they were both balanced. This is true. This is true. And it was a box office worldwide gross of 320 million motherfucking dollars. Jesus. Doll hairs, hunty. We've got plenty of them. This movie <laughs> was ridiculously popular. So we're going to just dive right into this. The film started our now expansive Conjuring universe, keeping up with like the MC universe and many other production houses who are trying to develop the same sort of universe formula. But in total, the universe now consists of eight films, three Conjuring films, three Annabelle films, and two spinoffs. Uh, the Nun and La Llorona, but we're it's also been like I feel like La Llorona's debated on a, as to whether or not it's in the it Conjuring belongs. universe. Yeah, um, but I think I've seen I've seen all, every single one of these movies, and not all of them are great, y'all. No, <laughs> we are warning you now that if you are if you are tickled pink by this Conjuring movie, because let's face it, Sid, it is. <laughs> the mother it's what started it spawned an entire universe so mm -hmm. it's a great like starting point for the universe not all of it's taken to like the best point that it could get to there are very good ones sprinkled without oh no I, yeah but what i want to stress is that like, no one was expecting this nobody was expecting all of this to just like bloom out of here but james wan started this and i believe he still has a hand in mm. the rest of it he spears it correct yeah, he's got, he definitely has a creative hand in every single movie. I feel like while he doesn't like write and direct every one of them, I feel like he definitely has a like creative input for sure. Where were you when you watched this? 2013, this is a year after film school. I don't even remember who went to go see it with honesty, no shade. I just remember going to see it in the movie theater. I remember it was really hyped. Uh, you, was it you? I think it was. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the look on your face. <laughs> I'm trying to remember who I went with. I was like, who did? We were probably fucking stoned out of our gourd as usual. <laughs> we did. I think we actually saw this. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly like have no I... recollection. I remember like being in the theater and watching and being horrified, but I don't remember mm -hmm. who I went with at all. <laughs> But I, I distinctly, I distinctly remember watching this movie and being, d d like unabashedly, and I'm not saying this to hype it up, but I was like blown away by what yes. I was watching because this movie feels like a beautiful love letter and homage to like mm -hmm. 1970s haunted house movies. We mm -hmm. haven't had a good one. Let me correct myself. We haven't had a good one in a very, very long time. And this just to quote you, blew me under the water. Oh like God, I hate you. <laughs> you stupid <laughs> shady hate you. But, but it really did. It truly just like, I was not prepared for it. I remember leaving and just consistently still thinking about it when I went home. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. James Wan knows like that classic horror. And I think that's what they wanted to bring to The Conjuring. They took this like content of this true story of Ed and Lorraine Warren. And I'm sure they fabricated a lot, not a lot, but some of it and made it more creative. I'm but sure Lorraine they... Warren would have told you that everything was true. Everything you see <laughs> is real. 
but they he built this incredible world so much so that everybody enjoyed so much that he was able to expand it out to this entire conjuring universe which is insane well that i think that just show goes to show the impact and the power that this movie really had because we wouldn't still be here along for the ride and still eager to watch the new ones that come out but we will address the third one at the end of this episode so <laughs> i will save those feelings for that but it's the impact on this was ridiculous and i can't wait to like really like go in and talk about it because this movie is just sprinkled with goodness it is just mm -hmm. a delicious pie that i will devour every single time with the flaky buttery crust Ooh, mm -hmm, with that good vanilla from mexico mm-hmm mm -hmm. Moving on to budget, an estimated $20 million budget with an opening weekend total of $41 million. It smashed records for an R-rated horror film. I believe it ranks number three or number five currently right now with like the highest rated R-rated horror films. It's still Really? Yeah. Uh, for our pre-production, the film began by producer Tony Rosa Grund writing the original treatment, but it wouldn't move forward for about 14 years. So moving from one production company to the next, this was until DeRosa Grund started working with sibling writers Chad and Carrie W. Hayes. So this is when the juice starts flowing. So by mid-2009, the property became the center of a bidding war. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> <laughs> Summit Entertainment would initially gain the script, but the film would eventually be turned over to New Line Cinema. And I believe it's mainly due to like, they weren't able to negotiate on a budget correctly. But mm -hmm. it's funny because New Line Cinema was one of the original bidders in the bidding war. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, New Line Cinema is known for bringing horror movies to the big screen, i.e. Nightmare on Elm Street. So that's pretty crazy at Summit Entertainment. Mm -hmm. I feel like I've seen that quite a few times across horror movies. That you have. These were big people who were really trying to get in on the groundwork floor. I mean, hello, we started we started hearing this years ago. It wasn't made for about 15, 16 years until after the initial like purchase of the rights for it. Good so God. I know. Talk about Hollywood at a slow pace, but I think it came out at the perfect time. Yeah, definitely. It was something that was much needed at the time. Pre-production began in early 2011. James Wan would be confirmed by Warner Brothers as a director, and by January of 2012, our gal Vera Farmiga and Zaddy Patrick Wilson would be attached to Star as the infamous paranormal investigators. I mean, great choices, perfect choices. I know you didn't know much of Patrick until this movie came out, but. He, I know he, I believe he was. No, I knew him from um, Hard Candy little oh, and yeah, Little Children. Little Children is very true. And Vera, she's just a horror quan right now. Mm -hmm. Like, she is horrors, one of horror's leading ladies, and I will watch anything, honestly, that she's. <laughs> she's got a point. She's an icon. She's a legend. And she is the moment. Now, come on now. Uh, during development, the working title of the script was changed from the original treatments, The Conjuring, to The Untitled Warren Files Project. This would shift to the temporary title of The Warren Files, but was reverted to the original Conjuring prior to the film's marketing campaign. And I think it's a muy perfecto choice because mm -hmm. The Warren Files makes it feel completely different. Or am I the only one who feels that way? 
No, I agree. I understand why they wanted to call it like the Warren Files because essentially every Conjuring movie kind of deals with a different case. Mm -hmm. And that made, that made, it was too literal essentially. And the Conjuring lends itself over to marketing much more well. And fans of horror would be much more receptive to something called the Conjuring than they would to something called the Warren Files. It also doesn't fit the aesthetic for me. The Conjuring fits that 1970s aesthetic while the Warren Mm -hmm. Files feels way too modern. It feels like a 2000s yeah. book. I guess because it's got the word files in it, but I can't help but think of like the X-Files. For preparation of the role, Farmesia and Wilson would travel to Connecticut to spend a few days with Lorraine Warren. She would also visit the set and give her blessings on the film's events. Farmesia would state that they took in information that would not be otherwise achievable from secondary research. And Vera even would state about the experience, I just wanted to absorb her essence. I wanted to see the details. She has such mad style. I just wanted to see the way she communicates with her hands, the gestures, her smile, how she moves through space. And I think Vera hit the nail on the motherfucking head. Because if she's if she's shadowing what Lorraine Warren really did in real life, it's stunning. And even if she added her own artistic twist to it, it's still stunning. I believe it a hundred percent the energy that she brings to it and the way that she moves for me is what's most like beautiful about it it's very dancerly like she's Mm -hmm. so graceful when she moves throughout the space i love when she plays with her hand um i think that that exploration of like how she views the paranormal is really stunning because there's a shot in the movie when she's in the cellar and then that full 180 shift around her and then the lights the effects are amazing so there so vera's acting with Juan's like direction and this gorgeous cinematography it's just like it's some of my favorite imagery in the movie it's it's so good so so good (laughs) (laughs) it really is it's the perfect relationship of the actor the director and the Mm -hmm. cinematographer which are three vital key points in filmmaking i feel like exactly so for filming principal photography would begin in february 2012 and filming would take place over 38 days primary shooting would be done at the screen jam studios and with other locations in and around wilmington north carolina Some filming took place at the University of North Carolina, Wilmington, while the school was on spring break. And I think most universities have that like instant 1970s feel aesthetic. And I love it because they really, the, our production designer for this film went in bitch. And I can only Mm -hmm. imagine because one style of shooting requires kind of like a 360 production. Oh yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes. You have to, I definitely see that. I feel like you would have to fully dress that shit. Ooh, I did not mean to say shit. I meant set. <laughs> you would have to fully dress that set um, because it seems like Juan gets shots from every angle. And every those are always angle. fully decked out sets. They have to be because what they had with the set they built, the house set would be two stories to effectively sell this story of this family. Diana Wash Pasolka, a professor of religious studies at the UNC Wilmington, would be the chief religious consultant for the film, which just I think is cool. Please check your P's and Q's because I understand that was Juan's like biggest stress was not necessarily that he wanted it to be like a quote unquote horror movie, but he wanted mm-hmm. to be as close to like based in real life as possible. Like yeah. he, he tried to do this like a biological, what are those? Like a bio flick. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a choice. And I don't mean that in a shady way. I mean that in a, that just goes to show 
uh, Juan's artistic vision and how he wanted to be authentic and realistic to the movie and the content as possible. So much so as to get a consultant and to have Lorraine Warren on set to give her blessing and to mm-hmm. give any sort of creative direction that she could. And she would go on to say that they captured her very well. And just to get this out of the way, because I'm gonna talk about it, I don't necessarily like the Warrens themselves because they're one of the, uh, they, let's, I'm gonna say fluffed a lot of the stuff that they talked about. They were known mm. as a hoax. They were definitely a hoax, yeah. So is <laughs> Lord Cheney. Oh, Lord Cheney. However, I'm going to take this separately because this is Vera's Lorraine Warren. This is a mm-hmm. completely separate Lorraine. I adore this Lorraine. Thank you for clearing that up, though. We realize that these characters are not without their faults, but we are going to do our best and try and. You look like a raptor. I was. Or I, not a raptor, it's a. Uh, the Jurassic Park. Dil- Dilophosaurus. <laughs> Let's drive into the stupid movie. Oh, no, no, no. We're doing fun facts. Yeah, fun facts. Two fun facts. The film was shot closely in chronological order, which we'd talked about before that never really happened. So I really enjoyed that they got to do this. I always think that actually lends really well to the actor's performance because then Mm -hmm. they're able to actually go through the steps of the characters instead of having to jump around. So that's always cool. I can't imagine how hard that must be for an actor to do like something as dramatic as like this type of movie to try and jump around emotions like that so i think i agree i think it lent itself over to the material really well to shoot in chronological order mm-hmm. the film was given an r rating by the mpaa originally the filmmakers were hoping for a pg-13 rating however the mpaa stated that the film was so scary that no matter what cuts or edits were done the film would not be viable for the pg-13 rating the filmmakers did not want to alter the film's tone and accepted the rating without appeals The film contains no sex or nudity, little use of profanity, brief depictions of alcohol, and no smoking. Yet, it was given an R rating, and that's pretty badass. That is amazing. I don't ever really recall anything being rated like that, but I would take that as like a badge of honor. As (laughs) I don't have anything that scary, I mean, necessarily offensive in here. Yeah to you that you're gonna tell me I have to give it an R. Thank you, I will take that. Mm-hmm. Does there come with like a money prize with that? I, you know, to be honest, I didn't really process that until you, until now that this movie got an R rating, but it's got like little to no gore, hardly any mm-hmm. profanity, very little like uh, profanity or sex or nudity or anything like that. And it's still got an R rating and it's intense. It's so intense, the intensity never ever really lets up. It just continuously keeps building. Go James Wan, go everybody behind this because I (laughs) cannot wait to talk about this. So let's begin our paranormal investigation into one of the Warren's most infamous cases after this commercial break. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.
Our paranormal investigation begins with the excellent soundtrack composed by Joseph Beshera, who previously worked with James Wan and Insidious, and I just had to give a quick shout out, because it opens with the WB logo, and then we instantly just jump in. The film's mm-hmm. first shot is of a doll's tattered eyeball. The camera pans out to reveal the now infamous Annabelle doll and all her creepy glory. Annabelle case, year 1968. In voiceover, Ed Warren speaks with two nurses about strange events that have occurred ever since they obtained the doll. The nurses explain that a lost soul of a girl, Annabelle Higgins, had been bothering them until they invited the lost soul to inhabit the doll. Soon after, strange occurrences begin. Even after throwing the doll in a dumpster after a very frightening event, Annabelle consistently finds her way back into the apartment. Uh... I love that our first shot is of this creepy ass doll because this image always sticks in my brain. I always remember the image of Annabelle's freaking disgusting, distorted face. Chucky's side piece is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's horrifying. And I'm glad that they embellished Annabelle because Annabelle really in real life is just a raggedy Raggedy and doll. doll. (laughs) Uh, So the doll definitely needs some embellishing and boy did they do a great job because that doll is horrifying (laughs) but this is a great start to the movie and even though this case has almost nothing to do with the film itself it obviously was a tangent for this conjuring universe to go on to ed and his partner lorraine explain they gave an inhuman spirit permission to possess the nurses and not the doll The film shutters and the light flashes to cut a new scene of Ed and Lorraine conducting a class at the university explaining the profession and the Annabelle case. We have been called demonologists, that's one name for us, ghost hunters, paranormal researchers, kooks, wackos. (laughs) Text then appears and scrolls past the screen stating, Since the 1960s, Ed and Lorraine Warren have been known as the world's most renowned paranormal investigators. Lorraine is a gifted clairvoyant, while Ed is the only non-ordained demonologist recognized by the Catholic Church. Out of the thousands of cases throughout their controversial careers, there is one case so malevolent they've kept it locked away until now. Based on a true story, we get a title card. <laughs> and I I have to state that soundtrack again, because it kind of does the same thing that Insidious did, where it's just very in your face and Mm -hmm. it immediately sets the tone of this terrifying creepiness so let's talk about our opening like scene like what are you what were your first thoughts i loved it it was a great way to kind of invite you into this world that you're stepping into because that's that's literally what james wan did he set up this entire world that we stepped into with the conjuring of ed and lorraine and their crazy paranormal career that they've had up until this point. And I feel like this Annabelle opening was a great way to just kind of be like, this is the kind of shit you're going to be in for. This this is like, this. <laughs> yes. Do, do you like that taste? Because we're going to have more, bitch. So mm-hmm. it's just the Annabelle case is terrifying because dolls already creep me out. Do you remember when we had the garage converted into like a toy room and grandma mm-hmm. used to have those terrifying dolls. Hi, I'm Chucky, 
and I'm your friend to the end. Those the were my grandmother's dolls, my mm -hmm. dead grandmother's dolls. And she insisted on keeping them in that garage. And everybody was terrified to go in that garage because of those fucking dolls. They were, no, they're like those weird porcelain dolls that mm -hmm. don't have souls. So they stare into yours so they can take it from you. It's, <laughs> it's just... white porcelain dolls with like the real hair, like the fibrous hair. <gasps> and they had like little bonnets and little dresses. And there was like a good, like, they lined the walls. Mm -hmm. They lined the walls. I did not enjoy them. But using a doll to like introduce your characters, like everyone understands that doll aesthetic, and I think it's it was a very an excellent way to like introduce these two characters by literally have them explaining who they are. You're so smart. Like you don't have to worry about like some sort of like exposition dump because this feels natural. Like this yeah. feels like like it doesn't feel forced. And I love loved the opening text i've complained about opening text before but this uh, is seriously <laughs> i think you're complaining about opening text on every single time that you've had to read opening text but you don't mind this opening text no because it's really well done because it's immediately setting you up for another layer of fear of this is real this has been done before even if it's it's been flubbed it mm -hmm. it sets you up and girl my butthole went clinch clinch <laughs> For the first time in eight I years. I am gonna freaking hang up the call. The call's done. Call's done. <laughs> Moving on. 1971, Harrisville, Rhode Island. The parent family arrive at their new farmhouse. It's moving day and we get introduced to our cast. The family consists of five girls and the cutest dog, Sadie. They recently moved from New Jersey. We get an excellent single shot take of the home's floor plan. The family dynamics and it's all done while time of the season by the zombie plays over. I have to pause because this is an amazing shot. James Wan really likes single tracking shots a mm -hmm. lot but I think they're the most wonderful way for you to understand like an environment. That's what I meant by like this production designer really had to make sure this was 360. Absolutely. And these shots are not easy to get. Not only no. do you need an experienced cameraman, you need a very expensive rig. You need to light the, the entire scene 360. You have to dress the entire scene 360. You have to choreograph all those actors moving in and out of the scenes. There was a lot of work and blocking that went into that single shot, but fuck me, did it pay off. Fuck me gently with a chainsaw because Jesus Christ. <laughs> the, I love this shot because you instantly I kind of identify with them because when they introduce them, we get the eldest daughter like, oh, I want to be here. Mm -hmm. And Carolyn, the mother expressing like, watch, she'll meet a cute boy and she'll not even remember New Jersey. Like you really fall for them. And of course, like you fall for it. Who doesn't love a dog? Like, come on, it's a dog. Yeah. And it's a really good way to make the audience sympathize with the mm -hmm. family or the characters on screen, I feel like, because Let's face it, like not everybody can have a, a, a pet. And let's face it, most assholes don't have pets. And if they do, they're usually assholes as well, so. Mm -hmm. While the family packs, the youngest of the clan, April, finds a circus tent music box and brings it inside. They also built that amazingly tall, wicked looking, like three-story tree and they built it onto the farmhouse. Yeah. I know, it's it, stunning. It's very stunning. After packing, the girls play hide and clap. Christine and Nancy accidentally break a wall in the hallway closet and reveal a boarded up entrance to a cellar. Inside, there appears to be abandoned furniture, including a piano and random boxes. 
Mm, no, ma'am. Mm-mm. No, ma'am. Nail that board back up. We don't need to go in there. You know this house is old. Why would you just leave that open? You just no, released ma'am. all the demon spirits, bitch. My favorite thing about this movie is that it does all of the things that you're waiting for, like immediately. Because Sadie doesn't want to come inside. She immediately oh, does yeah. not want to be mm-hmm. in this house. And then you find a seller that wasn't there. I would have already been like, don't unpack, don't unpack. We're going to spend the night, maybe, (laughs) and we're going to see what happens. I'm calling the priest. (laughs) Before bed and smoking, Carolyn notices Sadie refuses to come inside the house and consistently barks. They, however, have other plans that need attending. Are you still too fried to christen the new house? Who said I'm fried? (laughs) (laughs) I love them. Carolyn and Roger are so adorable. His name is Roger, right? Or is that the actor's name? But I, they're adorable. Like, they still get it on and they get high. And who does, we love and stand any character that still smokes the ganj. Come on, can of parents. Because if it's not green, I'm not smoking it. Ha! Oh, wow. <laughs> but I love, I like, I agree. I love their characters and I love What's Her Face as the, the mom. mom because Lily Taylor. Lily Taylor from The Haunting. I love her from The Haunting. She's like un- underutilized Greenpoint. Also a really good actress. The next morning, Carolyn wakes up to a small random bruises on her legs. And she begins her day to a chilly home, a rancid smell that goes away and all the clocks in the home stopping at 3.07. Later that morning, April finds Sadie dead outside the home, but I wouldn't worry about it. I'm not gonna worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I'm, not gonna, I'm not gonna worry Like, about it. oh, the dog's dead. It's not realistic. It's just not realistic. This family is so quick to be like, nah, it's fine. It's fine. We're fine. We moved to a new house and some wild animal attacked it. It immediately, immediately, like your warning signs are all over the place. This is, this is my only problem with haunted, haunted house movies. And it's my own gripe. Like we're Mexican. So you we're already very superstitious. So if mm-hmm. any of this stuff would have been happening, we both know we would have already been packed and out the door. Ed is giving a tour of the artifacts room to a reporter explaining why they house all of the relics and find out Annabelle's location. She remains behind glass with the sign stating, Warning, absolutely do not open. After giving the tour, we find out something recently happened to Lorraine that has shaken her. Ed shows his worry for her well-being and his self-blaming for an exorcism gone wrong. This relics room is just prime for a horror house or a haunted house of some kind. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Because that's what they do in, is it Annabelle Comes Home or Annabelle something. Annabelle Comes they, Home, yeah. Where they play with the relic room and it's, uh-huh. it's, people are crazy. Why would you have this in your home? Why would you keep, you don't want it in a, at least in a shed in the backyard. I know, why like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know, white people. But <laughs> it's, it's a great set and it it's is. so well dressed and so like there's so many nuggets in there to play with that could expand on the Conjuring universe. So I'm excited to see if like it goes it. there. Right, I'm so ex- I think that's why I like it so much because it instantly feels like it has history and you want to know what each relic like does. Where is it from? It feels like a Twilight Zone like TV series. You could really yeah. set I'd like a Conjuring TV series in that relic room, and I would probably watch. Because there's that dope ass samurai suit that I kept noticing every time they went in there, and I really oh, want to know. know what that is. I really want to know what that's about. But I also just love their connection because we talked about them being the anchor. Ed and Lorraine are constantly like checking in on each other. They're to me like the perfect couple. They're so freaking cute. And they're demonologists. Also, Ed was wearing 
the tightest, finest, like pants mm. in this scene. We're gonna take a we're gonna take a good couple moments for mm-hmm. Patrick Zaddy Wilson because even with the sideburns, I'm down. Super down. <laughs> see those pants? Jesus Christ. Oh, I know. So meaty. At night in the parent home, strange occurrences begin to rattle the family. Doors open on their own. Pigeons crash into the side of the home. And one of the younger daughters, Cindy, sleepwalks into the eldest daughter's bedroom. When they find Cindy, she repeatedly bangs her head against an old wardrobe. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. First the no dog man, no You have doors opening and closing, pigeons crashing into the house, and then you get a sleepwalking daughter who's banging ah. her head into the wardrobe. What more, how many more signs do y'all need to get the fuck out of the house? I don't understand. I mean, they explain later on, like their, their money's all tied up into this place, I understand. But a Motel 6, darling, sleep in the car. So like, this is just not <laughs> it. The minute the sleepwalking thing happened, I would have been out. I would have been out that house. Mm-hmm, no. Mm-hmm. no, 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 Also, the use of the wardrobe's creepy. I love the use of the wardrobe. Do I you? love a good wardrobe, yeah. <laughs> the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. Let's do it. Over the next few days, the activity gets worse and worse. Carolyn's bruising gets worse. She begins to hear clapping when nobody's around. April talks to an imaginary friend who speaks to her through the circus toy she found. And one night, Christine is tugged out of bed and screams when she sees and she sees someone in the room with her hiding behind a door. And the person whispers to her, It's Seth, and I want my family dead. That was an amazing read. Thank okay. you. Thank you. We have your um resume. Don't call us. We'll call oh, you. I left. No, did no, you get no, my no, Did you get my headshot? No, got it. Oh my I, god, my phone's ringing. I have to answer. No, I, okay. Thank. Thank. Thank you. Thank you for uh-huh. your time. <laughs> no way, Steven Spielberg. That's so great. <laughs> I'm gonna hit you. That's so upsetting. I th- these setups are ridiculous. I just remember wanting to like, like sinking farther and farther into my chair. <sighs> it. James Wan is so good at building the tension and building the scenes because the clapping game. The clapping, clapping game, game is a great instrument to ooh, like creep out your audience essentially because the girls play this clapping game in the beginning of the movie and that's how they break the door and they find the cellar. Well, the, the youngest daughter decides she wants to play the clapping game too when it's just the mother and the daughter. So they go and they start playing the clapping game and the mother Do you want to adventures... break down the clapping game really quick? Oh yeah. Well, for those who don't know, clapping game is essentially like hide and seek, and the the seeker is wearing a blindfold, and the hides, I guess you would call them, all have to clap whenever the seeker requests that they do, so that way they know which direction to head into. So the youngest daughter goes and hides, and and the, the mother's looking for her, and she ventures way off course because she hears another clapping, and when she finally gets there, she gets to the wardrobe and finds that that's where the clapping is coming from. I'm gonna stop you there because we have to talk about his use of wide angle lenses. He's very good at filling the space because Mm -hmm. a, a lot of the time when he's filming certain scenes that he wants you to feel terrified, the scope is larger. We get a gorgeous like corner shot view of the room, the wardrobe and Carolyn when she's got the blindfold on. And when she asks for the clap, nothing pops like there's no boo. But out of the closet come two hands and just thank you. See, instantly you were creeped out. If you can scare me without doing a jump scare, I cannot stress how that is more like longing and impactful than anything else. 
I don't think this movie had any jump scares at all. It- like there were scares, but there weren't, but they weren't cheap jump scares is what I meant. Like it wasn't a like, like a loud noise and a jumping out of the closet or whatever. It was all beautifully set up. And it was, and it was, a, and these like small, like scares that you do get just add to the tension to the building. Cause you know, something bigger is coming on just these little clapping games. Also using the clapping game and ha- having your character blindfolded and unable to take in the surroundings, but your audience can, is the most messed up thing you could do because <laughs> you are just watching helplessly. Because it's it instantly creates a mood and James Wan is very good at understanding what is scary and able to use it without exploiting it. Like they're not, you're right, they're not cheap. He's not mm-hmm. going to trick you, but he is going to scare you. Because, and we'll get to it. There's a lot of scenes where I expected a cheap jump scare and we didn't get it. And I was like, he pulls it away. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for not doing a cheap jump scare. Thank you. But when Christine is tucked out of bed, one, that's already terrifying. What kid isn't scared of someone grabbing <laughs> you from bed? But having that set up and then also using, like never actually showing the creature and just having someone react to the creature and a little girl, go Joey King. She really sells the crap out of root for me. Mm-hmm. No ma'am, no Pam. And when she tells what the creature is saying, I would have already been packing. I, I, how could you just <laughs> like, oh honey, that's scary. Just go to bed. Just no, just uh, go to bed. Just, it was just a bad dream. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> The following day, Ed attempts at checking out a case without Lorraine. He's fearful of getting her involved again, especially after what occurred at their last exorcism. However, he won't derail Lorraine's determination. Do you remember what you said on our wedding night? Can we do it again? After that, you said that God brought us together for a reason. Oh my God, and he gets (laughs) down and dirty. In the name of the Lord. I think it's cute. I think it's, I love that we know that they enjoy sex. I don't know why. I think it like humanizes them for me, but I love knowing they do that. It does humanize them because uh, up until this point, they kind of just come across as like Catholics who do this like weird (laughs) demon on the side. Catholics. Well, I mean, it is what it is, (laughs) but this definitely kind of humanizes them. It lets you know that Yes, like they put up this front, but they're also still like humans and they love each other. Like you genuinely get this feeling that they they really are together and that they Mm -hmm. really have been married and have this long history, which is insane to do on the first movie. I know. That night after Roger has left for a truck driving gig in Florida, Carolyn follows the sound of giggling girls around home until crash. Their staircase is trashed as their pictures are thrown and shattered along the floor. She hears the clapping coming from the cellar entrance. She attempts at trapping whomever may be in the cellar, but is pushed down the stairs until she's trapped in the dark with only a few matches to aid her. The voice of a young girl is heard from the darkness. Hey, wanna play hide and clap? (laughs) Suddenly, out of the darkness, two hands appear behind her and clap, clap, lights go out. Bitch. Gone. This is... So, this scene was used in the trailer i believe and and a lot of the marketing and that was what really got me to go and see this movie because that scene this whole scene is horrifying because she doesn't just like fall down the stairs she's literally chucked down the football stadium tippy tumbles (laughs) cracks a few ribs and the only thing that gets her out of the cellar is a ball 
like how did you make a bouncy ball so terrifying because it's not a boo and then she jumps she it's just this agonizing moment of quiet Juan loves to play with the quiet which is Mm -hmm. why when it's the juxtaposition of the music it's very startling but she's just there pretty much internally bleeding because they freaking decked her ass (laughs) (laughs) but all you see is a ball that's rolled and that's what scares her to go upstairs and then that's when the lights go out excuse me (sighs) And this is just the beginning for her. Like, Karen gets put through the ringer by the end of this movie. She really does. She really, really does. And the clapping used as a motif to bring it back just tied it all together. Ma'am, Miss Ma'am, you made me scared of clapping for for a little while. How did you manage to make clapping scary? Imagine you in a dark alley and all you hear is... I'm running. I'm, I'm not even turning around to see what it is. I'm fucking running out of there as fast as my feet will take me. You hear the Flintstones? <laughs> While Carolyn is being terrorized, Andrea, the eldest daughter, is woken up by Cindy banging her head on the old wardrobe again. Once she puts her to bed, Carolyn is quickly attacked by an old disfigured spirit until Roger runs home from his trip to a frantic and chaotic home. They get you not once, but Ooh. twice so quickly. They don't let you breathe. This this is the reveal of the witch, correct? It is the reveal of the witch, Bathsheba. This is the reveal Bitch. because so she goes and like puts her sister on her bed and she goes to go look in the wardrobe, I believe. And the sister starts freaking out from the bed because she can see her. And and they they cut from a close-up shot of the sister at the wardrobe and the sister's reaction on the bed because the sister's just freaking out. She has this pale look on her face. They cut to a wide shot of the sister, the two sisters in the in the room, one in the bed, one by the wardrobe, but you can't they cut off the top of the wardrobe so you don't reveal her yet. And then they from there, they cut to the close-up of Bathsheba on top of the wardrobe. And oh my God, this character design. The character design is truly frightening. She looks like the sleep paralysis demon that like, hides in your corner. I did, the reveal was everything. We're, we are both queens. We love a reveal. And this mm-hmm. is how you do a reveal. Because that shot is stunning because it's a pan up it's both of them the wardrobe you're right the wardrobe gets cut off and we get i always call it the dracula wake up scene because the youngest one cindy she's laying in the bed and then she does the (laughs) (laughs) the arise of the dead i'm awakened and then it cuts to bathsheba and uh, i remember literally yelping i think i yelped in like the theater when that that when that reveal is given it's just it's it's chaotic and i feel so bad for roger when he comes home because carolyn's being terrorized she's stuck in the cellar these Mm -hmm. girls are freaking out upstairs because andrea gets attacked by bathsheba and immediately she pounces on her and just starts clawing at her face everybody's freaking out and roger's just screaming what the hell is going on just like just got off of like a 14 hour drive That's it's just, that's some shit to walk into, but I guess that's what happens when you move five girls into a haunted house. Honestly, it's 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 your fault. You set it up. <laughs> All men are trash. Trash. Oh my god. Time and place. <laughs> <laughs> 
Carolyn seeks the aid of Ed and Lorraine Warren, who are conducting another lecture at the Massachusetts Western University. They lecture on a particular exorcism and explain the three stages of demonic possession. It feels like a Sesame Street. Yes, infestation. magic word ah! we're getting a copyright slap by sesame street and now peewee herman oh, oh I would take that as a badge of honor look 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 who's sending a cease and desist <laughs> it's cease and desist you moron are you fucking kidding me Moving on, we get a small cameo from the real Lorraine Warren as an audience member in the uh, audience of the lecture. Woo! Woo! Okay. <laughs> Carolyn meets up with the duo and convinces them to check her home. So I like uh, this is just like a catalyst for getting Ed and Lorraine Warren to this to the house. I'm really nothing to dissect here. It's really not. It's also like I don't mind lecture scenes, but as people who absorb a lot of film. Now, whenever we watch a lecture scene, I'm like, really? Are we really talking about things that we're going to be talking about later in the movie? Like, I get it. <laughs> it's always used. So it's fine. Whatever. I don't mind it. It is. It kind of feels like a romance meet cute. They were lecturing and she was in the audience. Now that they meet this new polyamorous <laughs> relationship, will they make it through their possession? Find out on The Conjuring this Wednesday. It's just like new on ABC. It would totally be ABC. <laughs> CW could never. <laughs> Once at home, Lorraine instantly feels an angry spirit is present amongst the family. She walks through each room as Ed investigates and interviews the family about the events that have occurred. Lorraine speaks with April about her imaginary friend and explores the back area that connects to a large eerie tree on a riverbank. While Lorraine senses the evil entities, she sees a hanging woman swing back and forth from the treetop. It's such a great setup. This is a great setup because it confirms, yes, we know there's a possession. We know that there's a haunting, but I really like how they use Lorraine as a way to finally see the things. It's like you put on yes. the ghost goggles from 13 For Ghosts. Yes! <laughs> and you're yes. able to see around. It's so good. I love it because it's shot two ways. It's kind of like, do you remember Ghost of Mars where they're like, this happened in this direction and then we go back. Yeah shot mm -hmm. in this direction. I like that we get to see her reactions to the family and then get to see what the f she's looking at. She saw, exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. Because as soon, the minute she walks in the door, she's already taken aback by seeing a dark figure that's clung itself to their family. It moves from the husband to the daughters. She starts talking to the youngest daughter who sees her imaginary friend through this creepy ass like circus toy, by the way. And this is one of my favorite shots because they use this, Cinematography, this movie. Cinematography. They use this great <laughs> mirror, like toy, like old school looking retro toy to, they shoot through the mirror so that way Lorraine can look back at because you can only see her imaginary friend through the mirror. And so they do this great shot where the mirror is spinning and it's got this and it creepy has, music. And it's, and it's got, got, got swirlies swirl. on it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And a circus clown that does the. Oh, yeah, that's fun. <laughs> Just creepy. popping up like a weasel. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like a whack a mole. Mm -hmm. um and so you're what, what i love about this scene is that it's beautifully set up and it's beautifully shot and you get this great 
scare of seeing her imaginary friend, but it's not a cheesy jump scare like you're expecting. You just get a quick like two second glimpse. glimpse of and the there's child. no music cue. I think that's why I like it. Yeah, and you're ex and I feel like because even myself still, I mean, after seeing this movie so many times, I still anticipate a and jump you scare. Up. Your whole and you tense up and you don't get <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And you don't get it. And it almost kind of leaves you with blue balls a little, but it's a good kind of blue balls. It's a good kind of blue oh, balls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> if you're into that sort of thing, I don't know. It's, you're you're right though. I think this, the use of lighting also is really good because we get a beautiful shot of Lorraine looking at the box and the reflection casting It's very Morticia Adams. It's so Morticia Adams. <laughs> She's casting. Are you casting illusions on your face there, honey? Casting. Casting. I think it's wonderful because the music, James Wan also knows who doesn't love an eerie, creepy music box tone because they use it in mm -hmm. Dead Silence and it's, it's yeah. wonderful. But that's scary that you're talking about where we see the imaginary friend. You're right. It's so... Good because it reminds me of the insidious scare when she's walking oh through the living God. room and you see the yes. ghost, but there's no cue to tell you that it's there. So if you catch it, you catch it. If you don't, you don't. Those yeah. are my favorite. Those are my favorite type of scares because it builds without having to push. Exactly. Uh, same. Don't push. Keep it there. Keep it there. Don't move. Oh my God! You're so <laughs> fucking disgusting. <laughs> Moving on. But we also I, have to I, talk about I, the tree. No, I know. Uh, that's oh. what I wanted to get you, because this is probably my favorite reveal through, from the entire movie because Lorraine ventures out to the riverbank to the tree because obviously she feels a great presence there. So she makes her down to the riverbank and when she does, she's obviously freaked out and she's in her trance world or whatever and Ed comes up and he asks her if she's okay and when she turns around, it goes pretty quiet and the sound design has to be mentioned because the sound design for this movie is also very, very good. But all you hear is a the, the branch being tugged on and the swinging of a rope and we it, we're close up on Lorraine Warren and she's just got this horrified look she's almost afraid she's not even turned around all the way because she's afraid to look and you cut to Patrick Wilson and it's pretty close up shot on him and you just see the witch's hanging feet to his left and it's not even a full reveal and it's enough to like make you jump it's so wicked you're right I didn't even think about that all you hear is just the creaking and the wrestling of the trees. And it's, it's, it's really quiet. The, the layering of it is just so wicked. But we cut from there and I need to, to talk about it because uh, James Wan uses it a wonderful handful of times of that classic 1970s. There's two different forms of the shots that he does it. He does, you're far away and I zoom in really like zoom into what I'm looking at. And those are classic in 1970s types of films because I don't believe we had tracking development just yet. So you had to zoom in, but he also does the force perspective type of shot where it's just the house. And so when they're being pulled back on the, the tracking shot or pulled forward, they zoom in. So it distorts and creates this very unpleasant, eerie feeling. And mm -hmm. we've talked about it before that if you could do that through your lens before anything else, you're already tricking the audience and making them have this uneasiness that just doesn't let up this yeah. whole goddamn movie. But I agree. I agree 100%. Like James Wan and their cinematographer have this great relationship. And mm -hmm. I feel like they trust each other completely because they're able to get these great shots and great setups and great lighting. 
Mm-hmm. Lorraine explains that the entity has attached itself to the family and not the home. No matter where they go, it will follow. In order to aid them, they must prove to the church of the haunting and provide evidence to support their claim. Ed and Lorraine discover the house's history. It belonged to an accused witch, Bathsheba. When Bathsheba's husband caught her sacrificing her weak old infant, she climbed to the top of the tree on the property and cursed all those who would take her land and proclaimed her love for Satan before cursing anyone who would set foot and committed suicide. Followed by reports found of numerous murders and suicides inside of the home that have since been built upon the property. So of course, this has got a crazy history. And I found out apparently it's still like a thing in Rhode Island. They don't have to tell you anything about the history of the home that you're purchasing, let alone like paranormal stuff. But it's a law that you don't have to tell them shit. So that's, oh, no, no, no. That, that makes sense to this setting as well as in the 1970s. People were always like pulling true. shit. True, 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 true. That is a lot here in LA. You have to, there's full disclosure. Mm-hmm. Just like in the murder house. Murder no, house. I can't imagine that. But I love the way you said Bathsheba because you sounded like a Mortal Kombat, like when you're picking the character. Bathsheba. Bathsheba. <laughs> Fight. <laughs> Finish him. This is a great storyline. Like I love mm-hmm. the story of a, like this was a witch's land. She was accused, and before that they could like you know kill her, essentially burn her at the stake. She committed suicide and cursed her own land. It's so badass. It's so badass. I, why why haven't we got a spinoff movie for Bathsheba? What the fuck? I would totally watch a spinoff for Bathsheba. Same. Because later on we get to see all of the ghosts that have like stuck here, like Murder House. Yeah, like so the little, it- dumb little kid. <laughs> that kid <laughs> the dynamic duo returns to the house with police officer brad and hold up record scratch i have to stop <laughs> this is a police officer brad appreciation podcast <laughs> holy fuck i forgot that the officer is a daddy with daddy. a capital d Mm-hmm. The stash, mm. the tight pants, the mm. body, the arms, mm. Mm. the thickness. Mm. It was you texted correct. me yesterday, just like, <laughs> I forgot how hot the police officer was. Just he is. <laughs> oh my God. Shut up. Don't shame me like we don't. You, two seconds ago, were just lusting after Patrick Wilson. Fuck off. Because it's Patrick Zaddy Wilson. He's not a cop. So that's all I'm going to say. He's on that. playing a cop. First of all, Ed, <laughs> Ed Warren was a horrible person. You just said that two seconds ago and you just separated them. You're. Bitch, I'm just poking holes in your Is this point. just, only Judy can judge me. I don't see you with a fucking gavel on a fucking gown, so excuse me. Gavel, insert gavel <laughs> noise right here. Order to the court, bitch. You're ordered to hell. We also have another important paranormal investigator, Drew, who's also fine as fuck. This oh, ho- yes. I would join these ghost hunters so fast, so fast. What do you need me to hold? I'll hold anything. Your in my mouth. <laughs> Moving on! The Scooby-Doo gang set up thermal cameras and alarm systems throughout the house in an attempt to prove the spirit is inhabiting the house. We also get a heartwarming scene of the family at the beach and the connection to a family photo with Carolyn and Lorraine. The first night, a door opens on its own and we change format to a found footage style as Ed attempts at provoking the spirit. However, nothing more than slam doors happens. The clocks don't even stop at 3.07. The next day after breakfast, an excellent scare is executed while Lorraine is putting sheets on a clothesline. As the weather drastically changes and the wind rolls in, she loses grip on a sheet and an invisible form is revealed by the white sheet. 
The spirit reveals itself to be in Carolyn's room who is attempting to nap. Suddenly, the spirit spews vomit into Carolyn's mouth, but once approached, she appears fine. There's a lot to dissect here. There's a lot to, yes. there's a lot to dissect here. So the first paranormal investigation, I love when ghosts fuck with whoever's investigating them. It is my favorite thing. It is my favorite thing. Oh, we have guests? So I don't want to be rude. <laughs> you didn't even bring out coasters. How am I supposed to make my appearance if you <laughs> can't set this up? It's beautiful. And I think it's so funny because Brad is brought in as like a skeptic. So he's just like, not about it. But when we change our format to, to found footage, I think it's also brava, James Wan, because you know that you're trying, to, you're putting the audience now into the perspective of everyone else. So now we have to like live it firsthand in a perspective of POV. And mm -hmm. who likes that when they're already scared shitless? And I like the jump from like a cinematic scope to like eight millimeter. That was a nice yeah, touch. Yeah, it was a very, very nice touch. It still fits the timeline. The, mm -hmm. the, the machines that they're using fit the timeline. I think it's just, it's a beautiful mel like melding of two different styles and it doesn't feel like it's being pushed. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So we get that first night, nothing happens, really fun. But the clothesline scare is the number one scare that had me, that was the biggest scare for me because I wasn't, really? I, I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't yeah. expecting it at all. And I always, I'm stu I'm a stupid audience member. And I always think it's daytime, we're safe. I knew it. I was waiting <laughs> for it. I'm like, this dumb bitch was probably like, oh, it's daytime. Nothing's going to happen. Hey, you stupid second... fucking bitch. <laughs> this is the second time in a row. Every fucking time <laughs> that you get scared during the daytime because, bitch, you let your guard down. Things can I happen do. in the daytime too, Jackie. I know. I'm sorry. I'm just innocent. But it was, were you expecting the clothesline scare? Because I wasn't. I wasn't expecting it, but I don't think it caught me quite off as guard as it did you. I think the reason why it caught me off guard is just that it's so freaking cool how they did it. I love that the ghost got stuck in a white sheet. Come on now, you're playing with that adorable little trope. And then like flew up to the window and when it, I love that it smashed into the window and then when it fell, the ghost was in the room. That's so cool. That's so fucking cool. It's so fucking cool. And the possession aspect was disgusting because Ugh. it's such a good shot. We're shot from right at the edge of Carolyn's head while she's laying down. So we're looking up at the ceiling and all we get is the ah, and then it's just Bathsheba's head that floats close to her and then just spews evil dead black black vomit. It is, <laughs> but I also didn't know that Bathsheba was into spitting and shit. Like I, you have to ask for like permission. Call I mean consent. consent, thank you. <laughs> God, this is 2021. How did you feel about the possession? That was disgusting, in honesty. But the, I mean, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. You had a visceral reaction. Yeah, in honesty, ooh, it creeps me out. And the Bathsheba, like just the character itself, is horrifying. The character She's... itself is horrifying. She's um, terrifying. But really quickly, I just want to jump back to the part where. The other part of the investigation team, when he starts giving Drew the investigator a hard time, or sorry, he cares giving Brad, the police officer, a hard time. He's like, you know, you can't shoot ghosts, right? <laughs> because then they mentioned it again later at the end of the movie. And I just thought it was funny that he was giving him a hard time. 
Roger thanks Ed for their support, and Ed explains that with every exorcism they do, a little piece of Lorraine is taken. Ed explains that their last exorcism was something was shown to Lorraine and frightened her so much she locked her away, herself away for days. However, Ed promises they will do what they can to help them. It's a heartwarming scene. Like, mm. that's a, I, I think it's a good story beat just in the sense of that, like, you grow more attachment because in all honesty, James Wan set up these characters for you to enjoy and like them so much. And that's what he understands that a lot of people just don't understand about horror. Like you can only get really effective scary when I don't want anything bad to happen to these characters. Mm -hmm. That is the, because once you get them, once you get an audience to like your character, you can do whatever the fuck you want to your character and we're along for the ride. You can break <laughs> yeah. them in half and we'll be like, oh no. But yeah, I agree. You need to be able to sympathize with your character. You have to be sympathetic. That's is exactly what James Wan did here. Because we've watched plenty of movies where I don't give a rat's ass about your Look, characters. Looking at you, Leprechaun. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> don't ever bring that back up. During another night of investigating, Brad sees a spirit of a maid who took her own life when suddenly Cindy begins to sleepwalk. While walking upstairs, thermal cameras observe a temperature drop and she enters the wardrobe. When the door slams shut behind her, the others force their way into the room and find a secret passage behind the wardrobe. After Cindy is taken out, Lorraine enters the wardrobe and falls through the floorboards down into the cellar. There, she uses the music box as a way to see the spirits of people whom Bathsheba has possessed. When she tries to escape, a necklace her daughter gave to her is taken, and she realizes Bathsheba's purpose, to possess mothers and use them to kill their children. I love, I love their usage of Lorraine as like a medium mm -hmm. to give, to explain the demon's motives. There Sorry. we go. Words. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, I love it. I think it's so well done. And I love this scene because it's horrifying. Lorraine gets put through it as well. Not as badly as the mother does, but Lorraine gets put through it as well. She falls like three fights down. How did she not break a cellar. bone? Seriously, she's a, she's a rigid bitch. The use of Lorraine, you're right, is so good. And I think the reason why it is so good is because it we're never really shown the ghost until Lorraine is present. And it mm -hmm. never... it it never feels unnatural. It feels like a natural aspect of like using the clairvoyant as a way to see the boogeyman and exactly. stuff like that. And it's so good because I can't really think of another movie that uses a clairvoyant in that way. Because the only one that usually pops up to mind for me and people can correct me if I'm wrong is the poltergeist. Oh my and God, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> but like the creatures are constantly present towards the family. What's really cool is that the family is constantly harassed and terrorized, but they never really see any of the creatures we only get to see Bathsheba once and that's when like the final attack is like okay we need to go get Ed and Lorraine as quickly as possible mm -hmm. so it's so good this is where I'm gonna correct you about the bah scare this is the only scare that I can remember is like a bah scare because she's underneath in the cellar and then all of a sudden we get the swinging feet of the witch's feet and it's a bah oh, yeah. yeah that kind of is that's the only real time that I like would say that that's a big one but I Ugh. in this case it's warranted it, the imagery is so good. Just seeing, just seeing hanging feet and hearing the rope alone is oh just like disturbing God. imagery. It's it's we say it all the time, but it's so well done and it's like a classic horror trope in itself. But it's so well executed that I don't mind. I think that's why it's so good because it's an understanding of it. It's playing with it, but it's doing it in a way that feels fresh. All of this mm -hmm. feels fresh. Mm. Shit. 
<laughs> Nancy is attacked and thrown all over the living room, but luckily they capture it on camera. Ed and Lorraine take their evidence to Father Gordon to organize an exorcism while the Perrin family takes refuge at the hotel. Before they leave, Lorraine sees a vision of their daughter Judy drowned in the nearby river. Uh, we have to talk about Nancy being thrown around like a fucking rag doll. Because <laughs> that is an intense scene. It's, it's very intense, that poor actress. Because I know the way it was done was all on camera. It's like one actor gets pulled this way and off camera and then camera moves someone and then else. someone else gets. So it's like three people dressed up as the daughter. God damn it. James Wan must have been like, pull as hard as he can. I don't care. I don't care. Pull as hard as you can. I want to see her life. <laughs> and it, it, in all honesty, it paid off for me. And I'm glad that they did it in camera and didn't rely like on CGI other than mm -hmm. to like mask the wires because it's very believable. And it's, <sighs> I've never, knock on wood, I don't ever want to see an exorcism, <laughs> but uh. it's very believable as an exorcism. Mm -hmm. Do you want to talk? Let's talk. Let's talk Ab about exorcisms exorcisms are so frightening to me and it's probably just because of the catholic guilt like in all honesty <laughs> but i'm not a very i'm not religious i think i would consider myself agnostic just in the sense of like i wouldn't say atheist mate like borderline atheist agnostic mm -hmm. but exorcisms just do something to me on level of fear that like when i get home it's the only time that i usually have to watch something funny <laughs> so i could like wash it off of me do, yeah. do, you, do you have the same reaction no no, <laughs> no ex exorcisms do nothing for me i'm sure don't get me wrong i like i just said like i don't want everyone to see a real one i mm -hmm. i believe like i believe people's word on their trauma and whatever they think or they've seen or have done sure that if you think that happened to you or if you say that happened to you i believe you I, however, want no part in it. I don't touch any of that. But I, the like to see it in a cinematic format, it still scares me. But I don't feel any tort, any sort of like guilt about it, or I have to like cleanse myself. Like I don't need a palate cleanser for the most part. Like The Exorcist, I could watch it and go to bed. Like everybody thought I was crazy because I went to go see The Exorcist at Hollywood Forever Cemetery. I remember my mom was like, "You're gonna see what? Where?" <laughs> Who's gay? Like Mopey, what? <laughs> Yay. What's one of the ones that like frightens you? Like what's like a horror setting that really gets you? Because for me, exorcism is instant. Like I instantly am just like, ooh. Uh, to be honest, it still stays within the religious realm. Um, anything like Catholic related, like, um, I don't know, like exorcisms don't really get me, but like the church setting, like we talked about it last week in it with uh, the religious iconography that happens in Catholic churches and how detailed and sometimes grotesque it can be. That kind of setting really horrifies me. And it's all too real. I think it's because it's too real for me, like especially the, like the conspiracies within the Catholic church, how many secrets they hold and withhold from the public how they cover up pedophilia and all this so disgusting the, So the shit. reality of the Catholic church I scares think so. you more than like a fictionalized- Yeah, and I think- That's interesting. I thought about it the other day and I was like, I think that's why I gravitate towards horror so much because the horrors in horror movie to me are so much more fantastical than the horrors of real life. And it's able to distract me from all the real shit that happens in real it's life. It's cathartic. We've talked about yeah. it before. It's cathartic and releasing of those emotions because 
that's why we can't watch true crime documentaries because it's real. Yeah. We've talked mm-hmm. about that. This is mm-hmm. all making sense. Look at us, I'm packing trauma. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's very interesting to see how that all plays out. I just wanted to ask because I always find it interesting that some horror movies won't scare people, but there's certain ones that just like strike a chord for a lot of others. Yeah, no, exorcisms don't really strike a chord with me. I'm totally on board for a good exorcism movie. <laughs> so once they get to Father Gordon, Father Gordon explains that the parent families are not members of the church. Therefore, they will not aid in this exorcism. The Warren's daughter, Judy, is attacked in their own home by Bathsheba, utilizing Annabelle. While all of this is happening, Carolyn, meanwhile, takes Christine and April back to the house in order to kill them. She's slowly succumbing to this possession. All of this is happening, like, in three timelines at the same time. So it's really cool to see, like, all of these things juggled because of Bathsheba. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to say that sounds like the church. You're not you're not supporting us, so we're not going to help you. Bye. Seriously. I, I love this that there's... Bathsheba's essentially like manifesting all her power all at once and it's affecting everybody all at once and it's all boiling up and culminating into this giant scene that we're about to get into. The only imagery that I want to talk about is when Judy, which by the way, I find it so funny that this is the daughter and then when they show the daughter again, they're like, no, we replaced her with a different cute kid. And it's... I thought I was... It's okay, I thought I was tripping because after rewatching this one, I was like, oh, the daughter really grew up between like the first movie and the second movie. So you're telling me it's a completely different girl. It's a completely different girl. It's the same girl that they use in The Haunting of Hell House, Sabrina. Um, and okay. she's also in Captain Marvel. She's making it big. She's doing good stuff. But good I just find I just found that funny. But my fav- one of my favorite shots is when Judy, the house slowly starts becoming haunted. We get the creepiest imagery of just like blackness succumbing and going oh, over the no. whole house. It's like a shadow. Oh, that is goose pimply inducing. That's horrifying. I am not ashamed to say that I'm afraid of the dark. I hate sleeping in complete darkness. It freaks me the fuck out. It's almost like along the lines of being claustrophobic. Mm -hmm. Um, So to see the like all encompassing dark (laughs) void, that's horrifying. And as a child, I would have shit myself. Would have shit myself and then died. I'm gonna shit all over these walls, Craig. (laughs) We also get the classic like, we need to get there in time. I know that she's hurt. We have to go now. And of course they get there in time. And then like that thing is dropped. I, it's just to like add heightness. And that's fine. The parent family contacts the Warrens and they're like, ah, she took him. So of course all roads lead to here. Uh, Ed and Lorraine rush to the house where they find Roger and the police officer struggling with Carolyn as she tries to stab one of her daughters with a pair of scissors. Ed suggests they call the priest, but Lorraine reminds him that the priest is too far away, forcing Ed to perform the exorcism himself. While the others hold the tormented Carolyn down, Ed continues the exorcism. And this is probably my favorite exorcism caught on film, caught on film, like it's real, but like (laughs) showcased on film because their use of just a sheet is just wicked. Yeah. Wicked. Because I love anything that makes you have to imagine what's going on instead of showing you, because it's always so much worse in your head. We said it again and again and again, but James Wan's really good at like showing you things that are necessary to move the story along and then also not showing you things and not you know, revealing everything all at once. And this is a prime example of that. You don't need, you see, everybody's seen exorcism movies. If you're seeing the Conjuring movie, you've seen an exorcism movie at least one or two in your entire lifetime. So you've seen what exorcisms quote unquote look like. 
So the fact that he threw a sheet over her, it just gives you this really great sound design. And then oh. these very simple but effective visuals of the like of her coughing up the blood and oh. the levitating of the chair are like, oh, it's just great. It's great. It's top filmmaking. notch. It's so top notch. It rem so at having to perform the exorcism just instantly, like, I don't know for you, but for me, it's, it's just like, fuck, like things are getting so bad. Also, um, Liv Tyler, I called her Liv Tyler. <laughs> Who are you talking about? Whoops, Carolyn, I'm just gonna call her Carolyn. Carolyn is so creepy as a possessed woman because she gets mm, all God. feral and terrifying. And once they get her in that sheet and she's still growling like a dog, it is just, <sighs> and when she levitates and then goes upside down, it's so good. It's just good. Mm -hmm. It's just good, y'all. Please watch it. I have like, I have no notes. No notes. There's no notes. No notes. <laughs> Carolyn seemingly stopped struggling, and for a brief moment, it seems like the exorcism was su successful. Suddenly, her chair flips over and she is held upside down. Ed yells for the demon to put her down, and after a few tense moments, she Ugh. is released onto the ground. Ed rushes over to Carolyn and tells the demon to leave her body. Carolyn slowly turns to Ed and said, She's Chills. It's mm -hmm. just chills. It is scary, but it's also just kind of funny to see like everything go quiet, and then she just... Bam! Right in the Ooh. kisser. She gets fucked up, man. Yeah, she, she does. Fucked up in this <laughs> yeah, movie. Yeah, she does. She gets thrown around way too fucking hard. Way um. Hey. Hey. No one says that, but yes. Okay, word. Meanwhile, Drew finds April hiding under the floorboards in the kitchen. He yells down the cellar that he found her, and this alerts the demon inside Carolyn, and she dashes up the cellar stairs to find April in order to complete the sacrifice. Ed and Lorraine Warren, along with Roger, rush up the stairs after her in order to stop her from going through with it. The possessed Carolyn chases after April through a tunnel underneath the floorboards, and Carolyn grabs a hold of April, but at the same time, Lorraine reaches down through the floor and grabs Carolyn's head. She tells Carolyn to remember how much her family means to her and to remember what she told her about how special they were to her and that they mean the world to her and what she would leave behind if she went through with it. This seems to get through to Carolyn as her face relaxes and her breathing returns to normal. The demonic presence in her eye seems to fade and she puts April down. This is a very intense scene as well. The rushing through the tunnels underneath the house is so creepy and claustrophobic yeah that's they, a good word for it and they're very like they're intercut and they're there's quick the edits yeah. yeah so it's just oh it agrees with the creeps and also a shout out to the makeup artists who turned carolyn into this possessed beth sheba because she's horrifying the contacts are so intense i think my favorite part about the makeup is like the veins protruding out of her skin mm -hmm. they're just it's so beautifully subtle and it's just disturbing so I've we talked about this in A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, and I know what people might say. Yes, I understand. I hate the power of love movies, but this is a power of love situation that is used pretty darn well, not gonna lie. But I always find it funny when the power of Jesus and love <laughs> is what defeated this demon. Gargoyles! Demons! If God can lead you to it, he can lead you through it. The scene changes to Carolyn being helped out the front door to announce sunny morning. As she crosses from threshold of the door into the sunlight, the bruises on her skin fade and she returns to her normal self. 
Roger and Carolyn rejoice with their family in the front yard, embracing one another, knowing that it's finally over. After they ward off the demon at the parent household, the Warrens return to their home. The scene cuts to Ed Warren entering his room on possessed objects and artifacts. He places the old music box from the house on an empty space on a shelf. Lorraine enters the room and they leave together. After a few seconds, the music box starts to play on its own and the camera slowly pans back to the music box. The camera zooms in on the mirror and the op- of the open music box and the music slowly comes to a stop. The scene cuts to black and the credits roll. And before we close out, we get <clears throat> a final quote from, I believe the real Ed Warren. The diabolical forces are formidable. These forces are eternal and they exist today. The fairy tale is true. The devil exists. God exists, and for us as people, our very destiny hinges upon which one we elect to follow. Dun dun dun! It's <laughs> it's. I love the end cap to this movie. I also forgot to we also forgot to mention uh, Joey King's character getting attacked by crows in that goddamn police officer's car, like oh, it's birds. Yeah. Like she's Tippy Hedren, and she's trying to go through. I just wanted to give it a mention because I love the nodes, the nods to the birds, and like I think it's classic excellent. horror classic horror but i i think this ending is such like a good like is it weird to say it kind of feels like a fam family movie ending it does it's almost like oh here's your nice little bow on top of this horror movie and i'm not mad at it and honestly i'm not at all because they didn't know where this like series they didn't know where they were going to go with this material so i I like that they gave it like a fully wrapped ending in case this was a one-off Clearly, mm-hmm. we know this wasn't a one-off. I think that the final exorcism, with its intensity, the way that it's cut, the way that the acting, and just, like, you've been building all of this tension thus far. I feel like if you didn't give us, like, a nice, family-friendly ending, it wouldn't feel justified, because you cared yeah. about all of these people so much. Exactly. You, like, you spent all this time making us sympathize with the characters. You can't leave us, like, oh, fuck the mother and the kids. They all died. <laughs> you know what that is a drag fuck the case it's <laughs> it's it's a wonderful end cap and it's just really well structured so i have to ask what is your hold on can i predict hold on i'm gonna pull my lorraine and i'm gonna see if i can predict oh god here we go the spirits are telling me that it is a five out of five ding 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 ding, ding, ding. correct Damundo. this is <sighs> At the time for me, this was this horror movie was such a breath of fresh air. And even though it sticks to like classic horror movie tropes, James Wan was able to put his own spin on it and make it feel new. And I I loved it. This I was highly anticipating this movie when I saw the trailer and I went and saw the movie in theaters. And it was just an overall great experience. And it's a solid foundation on which he built like this entire conjuring universe on. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. It's also a five out of five for me. It's really not hard to like give it that. It's a summer blockbuster, so it easily fits the spill. It ticks every single box of what like a horror movie should be. You should sympathize. You should be scared. You should be tense the whole movie. And I don't like when people say that, oh, that's a horror trope. It wouldn't be a horror movie if it didn't have the tropes. Like you need those Mm -hmm. to fit within the category. And what he does with this classic haunted house vibe and type of storyline is that it ref- it's refreshing. It's told with a really clean palette. I love the color tones in this movie. It's so 70s. And the acting is what really sells it for me. So it's fuck, fuck yeah, fuck yeah. <laughs> yeah, yes, goddamn shit. I mean, 
Goddamn Chicago. I got a five from the Queens here at TCQ Video. Before we finish, we're gonna talk about <sighs> The Conjuring 3, The Devil Made Me Do It. The third sequel to this wonderful film. So the second one, I would say for me is a four out of five. I don't know if we're gonna cover it, but I'm gonna give my rating now. And I'm absolutely gonna give my rating for Conjuring 3 because for me, for me, for me personally, it's like a two and it's barely a two. Ooh. It's barely a two because it feels like a cut and paste of what we know. And it's that third sequel idea of like, we're just gonna raise all the stakes but the stakes were exactly the same from the first two movies and just given more money, but no follow through. So mm -hmm. for me, for me, <laughs> it just didn't bring it, mama. It didn't bring it when the first oh, two. Wait, were who was beautiful. it for? Was it for us? Was it for, for me? For you. For me personally, it. Uh -huh. it was not it, mama. Come through, La Roach. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I kind of want to save my rating for Conjuring 2 because I feel like I might be able to convince you to do it. Ooh. However, I'm not doing Conjuring 3 because I fully agree. I, as I stated multiple times on this podcast, I hold the Conjuring series to a very high standard. I love the first two. <laughs> the, fir the third one did not deliver for me, honey. What did it deliver? What did it deliver? I honestly don't even remember. Like, that's how bad it was, is that I didn't re really retain anything. The only things I retained were the things from the commercial. It just didn't deliver. I'm sorry. No, it didn't no, deliver. Mama. And don't expect us to cover it, because we're not going to do it. But So I'll I give my rating. I said what I said. I'll give my rating for The Conjuring 3. It, for me, is also going to be 2 out of 5. And that's a point for Vera Farmiga and a point for Patrick Wilson. Honestly, I would have given it an extra point if they gave me some ass shots of Patrick Wilson, Ooh. but they didn't. So your neck didn't match your makeup. So your makeup <laughs> is nasty. Your makeup is nasty. <laughs> Our wonderful listeners, next week's flick, I am, I have been ready. I have been ready. She done been ready. down for the horror crown we are going to be talking 2003's freddy versus jason Ooh, this is another very heavy hitter that was a long time coming so i can't wait to dip our toes into the waters of the cool cramp crystal lake Ooh, there's this messy history behind it and i cannot wait to talk the wire fighting, cannot wait to talk the one-liners, I can't wait to talk Kelly Rowland dropping the F-bomb. We're gonna talk about it all, listeners. But we hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hate you.
I hate you. If you would like to keep up with us, follow us on our Instagram at the Carpenter Queens. Our Twitter is at Carpenter Queens. My personal account is at Nicholas Alexander Photography. My personal account is at STFU Ray. And that concludes this week's episode, y'all. We hope you Thank enjoyed you. and catch us on the flip side. Stay queer and stay safe, y'all. Bye. 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 Bye.